You are listening to Inclusion Evolution, a bi-weekly podcast that brings you insightful and engaging conversations on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the legal profession, the technology space, the world of sports, and our everyday. Here are your hosts, Lisa Mueller and Michael Kasdan. Welcome back to Inclusion Evolution. I'm Lisa Mueller. And I'm Michael Kasdan. Well, Mike, today we're back with another episode and we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome. And this is really a very important topic and something I know I've suffered from and can definitely relate to. So I'm excited about talking about this today. So how about yourself? Yeah, no, I'm also excited to talk about it. I feel like this comes up so much uh, when, especially when talking to law students, but also just in, in every kind of work context. So um, so I think it, it's a great topic that kind of bridges, uh, you know, across kind of mental health, or, but just workplace and inclusion. And um, I just, I, I'm almost surprised by how much it comes up. Um, so I'm glad that we are tackling it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of those topics that, you know, you suffer from, I think, at times throughout your entire career. It's just not something that necessarily you suffer early on in your career and it goes away. I think it rears its ugly head. It's kind of like always like bubbling beneath the surface a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, it, it makes sense. I think it's a very human thing. <laughs> I'm glad that we put a put a, put a word to describe it, but it is, I think it is a very human condition. Um so I think part of talking about it is uh so everyone else understands that everyone kind of feels this way and exactly. I think that helps to make people uh you know to kind of de-emphasize its, its impact on people uh when it makes you feel bad or like you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. It's almost like unconscious bias. It's another one of those human traits that, you know, we all probably suffer from and do suffer from and so um, it's good to talk about it from time to time because it can really, you know, you can get spiraled down into a hole with it if if you're not cognizant of it. So, so let's go ahead and, and take a deeper dive into imposter syndrome. So Mike, maybe for anybody who's not familiar with imposter syndrome, can you go ahead and define it for us? Sure. So imposter syndrome was first described um, by a pair of um, a female a clinical psychologist, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes back in the late 1970s. And they defined it in a paper uh, as phoniness in people who believe that they are not intelligent, capable, or creative, despite evidence of high achievement. Um, so that's the definition. I heard one of them speak uh, recently or, or read an article about it. Um, and, you know, they were both kind of shocked um, at how much a part of kind of the cultural zeitgeist it has become and how widely the term is now used. But, um, you know, it's not a, a, a clinical diagnosis. It's just kind of an internal experience. And, and uh, a lot of the way people describe it as kind of a fear of rejection mixed um, with, you know, I think the failure that happens, you know, for everyone, um, but coupled with a perfectionism, I think can cause these feelings of, hey, I'm not capable enough. I'm not intelligent enough. I don't know what I'm doing, uh, you know, even in people who are very high achieving. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of that gnawing feeling of self-doubt and incompetence and coupled with uh, dread of being exposed as a fraud. And, you know, I, I think uh, 
you hear that a lot with respect to imposter syndrome. And in addition, people with imposter syndrome feel inauthentic and they often question their ability to be successful. And they often are convinced that they don't belong in the roles they have, even when they experience success. Um, and what's interesting to me is I was studying for our podcast today, you know, women tend to be especially vulnerable to imposter syndrome. And I think we, you know, speaking as a woman, we tend to be really, really hard on ourselves for, you know, the slightest little misstep. And I think a lot of that is, you know, driven a lot of times, you know, women are uh, tend to be perfectionists and really um, are trying to to juggle a lot of different things and and do all of them well. And, and sometimes that's just not possible. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. I, I know that imposter syndrome also applies to just about anyone, yeah. um, including, you know, oftentimes people who are very well accomplished, people who are, uh, you know, in leadership positions, hold high office, uh, you know, have uh, a lot of, you know, academic degrees. Um, and so, so it does affect, uh, you know, a wide, um, you know, across a wide spectrum of folks. I know that when I, um, I've been going in and speaking at a number of law schools on mental health and well-being related topics. Um, and I think, um, hey, talk about imposter syndrome is one of um, almost like the top requests um, that I really? get that students want to know. And I think it's, you know, I do think um, I, I remember back to kind of that first year of law school where, you know, you don't know what it's going to take to be successful and you think everyone else is really smart. And I think it's just that kind of feeling. Um, so I, it reminds me of this feeling that I think probably a lot of people had during that first year of law school, which is, which is a tough feeling where you're like, oh my God, like, do I even belong here? Can I even do this? Am I yeah. smart enough? That person who just spoke sounds really smart. They sound like they know exactly what they're talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so it does um, remind me a lot of that feeling. But, you know, I know when I talk to law students about it, I, I do try and, um, you know, share stories about how everyone feels that, even very accomplished people. Um, and, you know, hopefully that that helps a little bit. But, yeah. I mean, maybe just before we, we get into it a little further, um, we can talk a little bit about, you know, the causes of yeah. imposter syndrome, just to unpack it a bit? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it, it's largely driven by personality traits and types. And it's well known that there are about five different personality traits or types that can lead to imposter syndrome. And I mentioned perfectionism a little bit ago, and, um, and women in particular feel that. But, you know, again, there are a lot of people who are, are perfectionist, uh, not only women, but you know, they tend to suffer imposter syndrome when they can't achieve perfection. So they feel like they're a failure. And and that's a, a, a tough one. Um, you have people who think they're natural geniuses. So they typically, you know, they may have gotten through school or, or whatever else pretty easily. So when they're they are finally faced with a challenge, they feel like a, a fraud. And then you have what's called the rugged individualists. And those are people that think they should be able to handle everything by themselves Asking for help's not an option. You know, I can handle it. I can do it. And then inevitably, you can't handle everything. You know, life course, throws course. you a curveball and you just can't handle it anymore. Yep. And then you have your experts who try and learn as much as possible about something. And then they feel like they failed if maybe they didn't see something or they missed something or they failed to analyze something. And then you have your superheroes, and I'm not talking about our Marvel characters here. I'm talking about those who they expect to succeed in every role, everything that they do. 
and they take on and they feel like they should constantly be doing more. And again, you know, a lot like the rugged individualists, you kind of set yourself up for failure because you just can't succeed at everything and you can't take everything on and you can't keep doing more. So, and so those are generally the five personality traits and types associated with imposter syndrome. Looking at those five personality traits, it seems like we cover, first of all, a lot of ground in terms of, that covers a lot, a broad spectrum of a lot of folks. And I think it also covers, you know, I, I can see why high achievers feel this because people who are used to doing well, um, it's just, it's kind of like when perfectionism or your own kind of inclinations to always have the right answer meets just reality, right? The reality exactly. is that we, you know, we, anyone who's a perfectionist is going to sometimes feel like they failed because perfection is impossible. And anyone who's, you know, in that rugged individualist place, there's always going to be an issue that you can't handle by yourself. So, you know, it, it's kind of just like reality hits. <laughs> and how do you reconcile that with like your normal way of going about how you um, conceive of yourself? Exactly. And it can spiral out of control, obviously, when you know, you're striving so hard to be a perfectionist or a rugged individualist or an expert or a superhero. And then you, you know, you've built up so much of your self-worth into, you know, that type of personality. And, and you know, you have pride in trying to, you know, be one of those things that, you know, when reality does hit, you know, you kind of, you can come crashing down. You know, the, the other, the other thing that I think about is, is how competitive environments, um, can kind of lay the groundwork for this. Uh, you know, I mentioned kind of that, that first year of law school or sometimes our like workplace cultures being really competitive. Um, and then, you know, when you, you know, it causes you to look around and kind of evaluate yourself based on your assumptions about, others' expertise and what they're thinking and feeling when most of the time everyone's feeling kind of uncomfortable and, wow, this is hard. And you don't often think about it as a competitive environment. But one thing I think about when I think about this topic um, is when I first became a parent. Um, and I became a parent, I guess, pretty young. Um, and, you know, you have kids and, and no, you know, nobody sends you to like parenting school and <laughs> teaches you how to do it. Um, and I just remember looking out and I was like, wow, everyone else just knows how to do this. And I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of pretending. Um, but then, you know, I think if you're open to <laughs> looking a little further and getting out of your own head a little bit, uh, you realize that everyone's just, you know, trying, everyone's just pretending, right? Nobody really knows what they're doing. Everyone's just kind of trying to figure it out. And it's more our own perception of how others, you know, feel when in fact, they're probably feeling the same way we are. Yeah, absolutely. You mean you didn't get the parent manual when your kids were born? I'm, I must have missed that day in class. You must have missed that day in class. <laughs> and there's even evidence that many people who develop feelings of imposter syndrome are, are people who faced intense pressure about academic achievement from their parents in childhood. And, and I can attest this was one of my parents, you know, I was and I I was a firstborn. And I think a lot of firstborns, a lot of times there's there's a lot of pressure put on the first child and uh you know, that that certainly can help you uh, develop this type of uh, feelings from a very early age. Um, when yeah, I'm also also a firstborn born. over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting because, uh, you know, my parents were very strict with me. And then I have a younger brother who's uh, seven years younger and, and they weren't quite as strict with him in school. So it is it is kind of interesting. But I I also found interesting, Mike, you know, you know, doing some of the research for this podcast that. It's a pretty high percentage of high achievers that suffer from imposter syndrome. They say it's about 25 to 30 percent. 
And the research also goes on to say that about 70% of adults may experience imposterism at least once in their lifetime. And that's, yeah, that's a, a high, high number. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. more likely than not, the person standing or sitting next to you probably has felt similar to you at some point when you're, you're having your feelings of imposterism. Yeah, the article or the thing that I think about, and, and I, I try and talk about this when I talk to law students about in, imposter syndrome, um, you know, this question of how common is it? And the answer is very, very common. Um, I, I read an article in the, I think it was in the Times, um, it was actually about the actor Paul Newman, um, who, you know, he's a little bit older, but like, you know, in his day, like he was like, you know, sex symbol tremendously successful actor right color of money yeah super cool then he went on and did this whole big thing with the sat with the paul newman salad dressings like yeah. just successful in like every possible way right um and i read an article earlier this year uh about how some of his um like memoirs or diaries were you know uncovered or shared in some context and it was like when he was at his peak of his acting success and dominance um and there were his own writings saying how he was experiencing like oh my god like i don't think i'm good at this i think I, I, you know feelings of imposter syndrome feelings of oh my god other people you know are, are better than me i don't really know what i'm doing um and it, and it was just it's just so interesting to me that if someone who's at like the pinnacle of what we consider to be success um you know across all sorts of different you know, ways of measuring success, right? That person is feeling it in the moment Then you know, everyone's feeling it. Yeah. And I'm curious, Mike, because you're just such an avid sports fan. I mean, have you heard of any professional athletes talk about imposter syndrome? Uh, do any come to mind off the top of your head? Yeah, nothing, no, nothing comes to mind, actually. I haven't heard a lot of athletes talk about it, um, which is interesting to me now that you mentioned it. And I hadn't quite thought of that before yeah um but i mean but i would imagine um you know some of those stories about coming up from the minor leagues and hey like am i going to be successful here is that next person better than me there, there must be feelings like that um but i really haven't heard a lot of those stories yeah i haven't heard of any either but if there was going to be a place i think you're right it would probably be baseball given the farm system and the way that works and some yeah. baseball players they're in that farm system for quite a while and they never know if they're going to make it to the major league. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's some there. Yeah. Um, I think it's got all the ingredients, right? It's got like exactly. that, that competitive nature and there's kind of a limited number of slots and you're looking up at people and saying, wow, these guys, they, they all know what they're doing and I'm the, I'm the new person and uh, am I going to be successful here or not? And the difference between success and failure is so great um, that it's just, I think becomes one of the ways that we, sort of put more internal pressure or can put internal pressure on ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I want to go back to something I was talking about a little bit earlier um, when yeah. we were at the beginning of the podcast. I was talking about, you know, women and imposter syndrome and, you know, yes. tend to, you know, experience it a little bit more than men. But it is interesting when you look at how men and women experience um, imposter syndrome. It is different how they experience it. And um, there is evidence to back that up. And uh, men who feel like imposters, they tend to have a lot of anxiety. And when they get negative feedback, they tend to exert less effort. Whereas women who feel like imposters do the opposite. They tend to, you know, exert more effort, which um, I found very, very interesting. Um, I guess I hadn't really thought about that before, but it was interesting to me to to see that finding that men and women react in 
opposite ways, at least um, uh, some do. And then I think, you know, what was consistent between both men and women was that they live in constant fear of being discovered. And rather than be proud or feeling proud or accomplished, they feel underserving of the recognition or respect that they receive, which, um, you know, I think we all, like we've been talking about so far, you know, at some points um, have those feelings. Yeah. The, I mean, the differences between men and women, which like you say, like they're, they're evidence-based. Um, it's really, it, it is interesting to me. And I think, you know, we have to attribute some of that to kind of the, or a lot of it, I guess, to, to the cultural context and that we're all swimming in, um, where, where women feel like, um, especially, you know, in the workplace and, and, you know, they have to, you know, do more to, to achieve the same exactly. or be considered the same. So I think that feeds that like work harder, do more, learn more. Like I'm going to fill this gap. Um, it's interesting that men, um, you know, exert, like have do the opposite. I don't know if that's just, I don't, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if I can explain that quite as, quite as simply, you know, other than, you know, having an aversion to the negative feedback and kind of just, you know, putting it out of mind. Yeah, it is interesting to see that that difference in reaction. And, you know, let's talk a little bit. We're both lawyers um, about uh, lawyers and imposterism. And you've talked a little bit about the speaking that you do at law schools, which I think is so incredibly important because, you know, there is a lot of imposter syndrome, like you were saying, in law schools. Um, you know, gosh, I'm not as smart as the person sitting next to me who just gave that great answer to the the question that was asked. But, you know, it continues on once you get your first job, whether it's in a law firm right. or in government or where else. And so lawyers, we're really susceptible to the imposter phenomenon. And um, new lawyers in particular, I think they constantly feel like they have to prove themselves to be perfect and to know what they're doing. And I know you work have worked with young lawyers. I have too, Mike, and yeah, we sure. can see that um, they are trying just so incredibly hard. Those first, second, third year associates, they're constantly on edge, and you know, um, they're constantly trying to prove themselves. Um, and you know, when you sometimes you give them that feedback that they've made a mistake or something like that, you can just see kind of like the avalanche of emotions come down on them. It's really, really. Yeah. It's hard to watch, but, you know, um, it's something you do see a lot with very young lawyers. Yeah, but I mean, I, and I also think that, that that's absolutely true. And I think part of what we need to do as, as kind of colleagues and mentors and, you know, there, there are different ways to go about, you know, our, your, our, our business, right? Like, you know, as senior lawyers, you know, I think a lot of people do and there is a tendency to, you know, try and preserve that illusion of being perfect and being flawless, <laughs> yeah. and not admitting failures. And and I think that's just the natural inclination. Like we're in an adversarial win-win kind of culture. Um, but I think, you know, it's it, it the, the it's actually better and it doesn't sort of come naturally, I think, to kind of do the opposite, especially um, in terms of creating like a better culture and and, and actually helping our, our younger lawyers to develop as lawyers. I think it's because it's so powerful, you know, when they're feeling like, oh, my God, you know, this and look like you and I, we, you know, we've been doing what we do for for decades. And so, of course, you know, we have expertise. But, you know, I think as a young lawyer, it, it's so helpful to hear um 
from them that sometimes we feel that way. And also that when we make a mistake, that we have made mistakes. Exactly. <laughs> um, lots of mistakes. Lots and of that, mistakes. You know, yeah. and, and that we can together recover from them and that that's just part of every day. Um, so I think the, the more we do to kind of undo, um, you know, that kind of we're perfect, um, we never make mistakes kind of concept conception, uh, I think the kind of better off we we all are think a lot about environment and culture of, of law firms and you know and things like how how we give that criticism or that feedback that you talked about exactly. and, you know is it a place where folks can ask for help if they're struggling or don't know the right way um you know what are expectations being clear about expectations you know comparing people right there's always you know performance reviews and you know life is such that of course there are competitive environments and um and, and you know but in terms of you know how how we kind of go about the business of um you know mentoring and just you know being in the workplace i think can go a long way uh in terms of addressing this issue absolutely and you're spot on about the mentoring i think that's really important and i also remind young lawyers that i work with i'm sure you do too that sometimes the best way to learn and grow is through that mistake and um you know you you can't hit a thousand all the time and you know we still make mistakes, as you pointed out, as even as lawyers who've done this a long time. So the mentoring is key. And I also think the way in which the message is delivered in terms of the mistake or the error or whatever it is to a young lawyer is just so important. Um, and I think that can go a long way to helping them avoid uh, any imposter syndrome that they might be feeling. Yeah. And I think also the way we sort of frame successes and failures, yes. um, do we do it realistically or unrealistically? Like no one wins all the time. Um, and if we evaluate our own self-worth and the self-worth and the worth of those around us, always based on that, we're always going to fall into traps of either, you know, calling too much attention to someone's successes that can increase imposter syndrome. Oh my God, you know, I have to keep that going, right? What if I fail after all these successes? That means that, you know, I wasn't really that good. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think I think we have to look at more of the methodology, the things we can sort of control, <laughs> um, you know, rather than always like the outcome of did I win this motion? Did I lose that, um, you know, wins and losses kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked about personality traits. We've talked about lawyers and imposterism. But, you know, let's talk about some of the impact that um, imposterism has and you know, sure. you, you mentioned a little bit about issues with mental health before, and I, I think that is so true because I think when you're feeling like you're an imposter, you're feeling isolated, you're, you know, under increased stress, anxiety, and I think it can lead to depression. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It can, if, if it, you know, in extreme cases, um, if you're really feeling this and you're in your own head, um, you can certainly feel very isolated. Um, and it can lead to those, you know, serious mental health issues. But I, I think other than that, um, it's just, you know, even if we're not talking about those kind of clinical mental health issues, we're talking about, you know, low self-esteem, yep. self-doubt, like, you know, having those feelings can definitely, you know, impede, you know, one's career growth. Um, it can also make you, you know, less effective as a leader, right? Exactly. If you're always 
operating from a place of like fear of being exposed that you're less like of an authentic leader um, and less confident in your sort of decision making. Um, and I think, you know, connected to that is, you know, less space for innovation, right? Whether you're a lawyer or kind of any, any job, like you want people to be innovative, which means if you're operating from a fear of being exposed or a fear of making a mistake, you're never going to be at your peak uh, in terms of innovation. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're just got so much self-doubt on yourself. You are not allowing any room for yourself to be creative and, and uh, innovate in any way. And, and it just starts to spiral out of control. So we've talked about, um, you know, the traits for imposterism. We've talked about the impact of it. So let's talk a little bit about what you can do if you're feeling like you're an imposter. What can you do to overcome it? And, you know, I, I think the big thing, Mike, is to remember that um, other people uh, may not be as confident as they appear or don't know as much as they appear to. And I think as humans, we have a tendency always to be comparing ourselves to someone else. And, you know, it, it, I think sometimes we kind of uh, forget that other people are feeling nervous or anxious or, you know, they may appear to know a lot, but they really don't know any more than we do. Yeah, just like, you know, we're working hard to project, you know, confidence and knowledge, you know, when we when when truthfully everyone's a little uncertain. Um, you know, other people do that too. And so, you know, we, we can't peer into everyone's brain. So yeah, I think I think keeping that in mind, uh, and like the Paul Newman example is, exactly. is something that good. Um and you know, I, I think the other the other thing is 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 sort of framing, like changing your own mindset yes. about your own abilities. Um you know, I think imposters feel like they don't belong. So, you know, as 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 people, you know, as leaders, as mentors, you know, the 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 opportunities we can take to acknowledge our colleagues' expertise and their accomplishments, I think, is important. Um, you know, as is reminding, um, you know, ourselves and and everyone reminding themselves that you know. We're here because they they earned their place, uh, you know, in an academic or professional environment, and you know we're we're all we're all in the same place. So I think one of the things that would be helpful here would be you know write down what you've accomplished, your strengths, and things that you're good at, and make sure you attribute your success accurately to hard work, things like dedication and good decisions, and you know keep a file of compliments that you receive from clients, supervisors, or, or others. And that's something you can go back to when you're feeling like an imposter. And I think something that's really, really helpful um, to look back on at some point. And, you know, focus on small steps and reward yourself for the risk and whenever you step outside of your comfort zone. And so I think, you know, focusing on your own achievements, trying not to compare yourself with others, and remember that, you know, those times where you have done good work, you have moved forward, um, you have had success instead of always focusing on the negative. Yeah, I think that's all good advice. And and look, I think not we, we compare ourselves to others so naturally. Yes. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard not to. Like, we're constantly judging ourselves. We're constantly comparing ourselves. That's um, another thing that's sort of very human. Um, but, you know, you think about there, there's always going to be you know, one person or, or people that seem like they're doing better, or they have it all together. There's always gonna be someone like in your class that like is wildly successful and is retired at the age of 45 and everything looks perfect. And um, so just, you know, comparing yourself, you know, to, to every other is, is always going to be kind of a losing game. So um, it's, it's just, it's hard to do, but I think, you know, to keep it in mind. And, and I also like what you said about, you know, writing things down. Um, and I think that's part of kind of the 
process of reframing our own thinking and like challenging uh, your own negative thoughts, right? Like, you know, like having a conversation with yourself about like, you know, what beliefs do I hold about myself and my own abilities? You know, am I worthy? Do I have to necessarily be perfect or never mess up, you know, to to have approval or success? Um, And so I think, you know, challenging your own thoughts um, when, when you do get into those spaces of judgment, which for human beings is very often, uh, I think is a good habit to get into. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, you were also talking a little bit earlier about mindset. And I think adopting a growth mindset, we've talked about this in this podcast before, is really important and will help you, you know, get through your imposterism. And through that, you can get better with experience. So, you know, I think things to remember is that the more you're willing to learn and accept the fact that you don't know everything, the more likely um, you're going to overcome your imposterism or at least mitigate the way you're feeling. Yeah. And I I really like kind of the last part of what you were saying there in terms of, you know, you don't want to be overwhelmed by the feelings of self-doubt that are kind of a hallmark of imposter syndrome. Um, But you almost want to use that to your advantage, right? That's part of innovation. That's part of growth. Um, You know, so, so I, I really like uh, the way we kind of can turn it on its head a little bit. Um, I think if we're aware of those feelings and we can challenge our own feelings, um, then we can use like that very human self-doubt that's always there with everyone kind of as an advantage rather than something that's kind of crippling. Absolutely. I'm glad we had the opportunity to talk about this for a little bit. I enjoyed the conversation. Um, That's it for this week's episode, Lisa. And so we will catch you next time on Inclusion Evolution. Thank you for listening to Inclusion Evolution. The views expressed during this podcast are solely those of the hosts and not of their respective law firms. Share your thoughts with us by emailing us at llmuller at casimerjones.com or mkasden at wigan.com.